Hi, and welcome to the seventh episode. I'm Joe. And I'm Dan. This is a podcast about making games by friends who sometimes finish what they set out to do. We chat about programming, game design, we break down the games that we're playing and building. Ah, we got we got through that without incident. <laughs> <laughs> the first sign of success. <laughs> yeah. I was sweating a bit at the beginning, but boy. Yeah. I think that's just to do with the heat wave. I don't know if it's the same yeah. thing where you are, but boy is oh, it guys. hot here. Oh, same. It's it's hot outside. The cat is not enjoying it. He's like sleeping all the all day. That's interesting. Like a very spread out position. The cats here seem to um they uh they love that the warm weather. Like it's pretty much a guarantee on a hot day that cats will all be outside. They'll be in the shade, but they'll be outside. Uh-huh. Huh. So. Well, my cat's from South Wales, so <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's just <laughs> Um <laughs> Yeah, the great north-south feline divide. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My cat doesn't speak proper Welsh like your cats do. <laughs> I even wondered about making a game about cats because of how much I've seen cats here whilst I've been living with my girlfriend uh, and her parents. There's, I think there are five cats in the house. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I say in the house, some of them live out in the shed, some of them live in the house. There's a lot of cats around. <laughs> and it's That sounds like a death trap for you. Because you're like, allergic to cats. Yeah, it, it's interesting. It's it's manageable for sure. We've got like a yeah. like a section of the house that cats aren't allowed in, and that's where like our bed and sofas are. So, oh, okay, like it's it's not too bad. But I have to watch out when I'm stroking a cat, and then I need to wash my hands <laughs> before I rub my eyes or anything. It's one. Of, it's one other of those dangerous activities you like to take fast and that could result in your death. Oh, I don't know if it could be described as death-defying, <laughs> yeah. stroking yeah. a cat. Yeah, rock climbing without a rope, <laughs> like other stuff, and yeah, <laughs> being around lots of cats. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, so uh, back onto games, I guess. <laughs> what have you been doing this this last couple of weeks? Because it's been it's been about two weeks since we recorded the episode. Yeah, last episode. we had a break last week because we're still sort of stuck in the middle of uh, <clears throat> transition period from game loop to X, where X is something that we may or may not edit in, depending on whether we've yeah. figured out the new <laughs> name and brand of this podcast by the time you're hearing this. <laughs> We should edit it in in a really like obvious way as well, like just match the like, don't match the tone. Like. Yeah. Use the Google Voice as the narrator. For... Yeah. <laughs> Didn't have time to. <laughs> um, that would be great. But yeah, it's oh. good to get back to it. It was also good to have a break, to be honest. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm looking forward to diving back in, especially this week. I've I've spent more time making games this week than i have for ages and ages and ages so feels doubly relevant to be back chatting again yeah how about lots of you what you mean oh sorry i was gonna ask you what you've been working on well how are you doing first because i feel like it might be a deeper dive than usual oh okay fair enough well i've been i am still working on the same game the card game it is it is going well (laughs) yeah the four four weeks in a row (laughs) (laughs) celebratory hooray Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's definitely been a month and it's, <laughs> it's still going strong. Um, it's really interesting having a long-running project, especially in C++, because you have to worry about low-level stuff as well. So what I'm doing to manage like uh, 
technical debt, I guess, is set aside one day a week where I work on stuff in the code that's bothering me that isn't going to change the game at all. Yep. And that's working really well. Um, like I had a system, I had some code that I used to load in new sprites and use them for objects and that wasn't really working so I spent like one Sunday just completely ramping out and changing that and now it's like very seamless and then another Sunday I worked on making the animation system really smooth so I can just fire off animations for different things very easily and that was really good um, so that's nice it's nice to be able to like hack your brain to thinking you're making progress on something when, you, when you're just when all you're doing is adding animations <laughs> but besides that it's like quite an interesting design experience as well because it's it's it is fun. It's the, the kernel of fun is in there. It's just making it. It's just adding to it now, like adding little bits, little like more little things. Yeah. To go in. Yep. Um. So yeah, and that's that's really fun. I like getting having it so that I can iterate and experiment, and not and and but but at the same time, like use a low level language to make something from scratch is a challenge. Mm. But I don't think it's insurmountable, and I think. Yeah, as long as you give your, as long as you're realistic with yourself and give yourself time to like work on stuff and chuck out code or revamp code, I think it's fine. And also, I think I'm going to get to a point with this very soon where having an engine won't really affect it in any way. Like having worked on games where I've used an engine, they get to a certain point where what you're doing is making the game, mm -hmm. and nothing, and like the engine isn't hasn't isn't holding your hand anymore because you already got the something on screen. And I feel like I'm rapidly approaching that point with my game, That's which cool. is pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, enough about my project. What have you been working on? Uh, I have been working for the last week or so on a roguelike game that sort of <clears throat> like ever since we started this podcast, I've had niggling in the back of my mind need to start a game that I finish and can <laughs> have in the world and on the internet as that game that I did. Uh, I, I <laughs> that have, game that I got and done. Yeah, exactly. I, I've got a multitude of like half-baked games that you can get to online if you know the URLs. It's that kind of situation right now. Um, but I haven't got anything that I felt as like it's nothing that's a good reflection of the kind of game I would like to make that is actually finished. Uh, yeah. So I had that battling around in my mind for a while, and I can't exactly. I, yeah, basically, I was thinking about making this game about cats that, that never came to fruition. <laughs> um, and then I started thinking about making a, a roguelike game where you tipped some roguelike ideas on, on their head so rather than being about a, a dash through a dungeon where you're collecting treasure. It just being about there's so much treasure, it becomes an obstacle rather than a, a, a boon. So it's <laughs> like you're just trying to get through these rooms and all over the place you've got golden goblets and chests and things that are just basically getting in your way. You, you could never carry it all. Um, which I sort of I started drawing out art for, and realised I could put a fun spin on it. If rather than the dungeon was filled with treasure, it was you creating the treasure as King Midas, the Greek um, historical mythological figure who was cursed with touching anything uh, and turning it into gold. Uh, That's really cool. So it just sort of <laughs> grew from there. I took the sprites they already had and turned it into what right now is like. Um, essentially soccer ban with combat and turning stuff gold by walking into it. Um, 
That sounds really cool. So I'm excited for you. I have got uh, a provisional. Uh, my my idea is oh, this time next week, I want a playable version where you can actually have combat and lose and move up and down levels. Um, <clears throat> mm-hmm. And then we'll see where we go from there. But right now, that's the that's the goal. I've got a lot of ideas for other places it could go with Greek gods and like a narrative around. In the classical story of Midas, he uh, he goes slightly mad as he realizes he can't eat anymore. He starts to starve because <laughs> every bit of food he touches, he turns into gold. And his daughter comes to comfort him, and he touches his daughter, who turns into a golden statue. So <laughs> I, I sort of want to work at, at some kind of a narrative uh, around his progression into insanity uh, mm-hmm. into the game, where it'll resolve and it'll eventually get uncursed and restore his daughter. But I, I'm, <laughs> I feel like I'm sensi- uh, sensibly parking <laughs> the narrative structure until... Like there's a fun yeah. game there, and it can be played with or without a story. Uh, yeah, but uh, well, I mean, there's a playable version online at the moment, so I'll, we'll put a link to that whenever we release this podcast episode. Cool. Um, I look forward to. Uh, well, actually, no, that's a lie. I've already played it, haven't I? Um, I look forward to playing the next version. <laughs> um, Me too. <laughs> yeah. While you've, how long have you been working on that for? Um, I'd guess four or five days. Oh, okay. I've had this problem where I asked because I've had this problem where like I'm playing a lot of planetary annihilation right now. Um which is a I don't know if you've heard of it. It's like a big strategy game, uh like real time strategy game where you you're you you're trying to you're trying to fight over planets and you are a robot overlord who can create loads and loads like hundreds and hundreds of little robots and tanks and stuff. And you fight other robot overlords in space over planets. And it's this massive game where you have these big armies of tanks and robots smashing into each other and you're blowing each other off and it's really, really fun. And I was thinking about how it's how it would just be a cool idea to make an RTS game. Yeah. And at the same time as making this, I've been trying to park the idea in my brain and write things down about it. But also I've been looking into things like coordinated group movements, yep. algorithms. Yeah. Which is harder than it looks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so, like, what I mean is, like, when you have one character moving across a map, you have pathfinding, and that's okay. Like, I've done that before. But when you have 80 characters moving across a map, and they've all got to fit through a gap, and you care about them not overlapping each other, yep. because you want some kind of strategic advantage of only, be able to, only being able to feed a certain amount of troops through a certain gap, that's really difficult because you have to like they have to navigate around the world and around each other and there's a bunch of um different ways to do it one of them i've looked at was called a flow graph or a flow map and that's basically you calculate it's basically dextra for an entire map so when you click on an or you click on somewhere for character to go a, a, a entire map will be generated for the whole map with arrows pointing with yeah. arrows pointing to the like the in the direction that you should go um and everyone will sort of follow those arrows and that flow and will will like collide into each other and just wait basically so they end up having like things like traffic jams and things which is fine i guess yeah like a little simple rts as long as you have i have an idea that if you is 
it's fine if you cut corners on that as long as the explosions are big and the troop counts are massive and it looks cool like <laughs> it could be just about that rather than like um you know amazing ai yeah <laughs> and stuff yeah um but yeah the deister approach there makes a lot of sense to me that like you you want to be pathfinding for the whole like unit as one rather map. than every person but then you don't want it yeah you, you don't obviously if you don't want tiles to like single units to occupy the same tile then yeah. having the deekstra map means that for the entirety of that move you're just going to compute it once at the beginning and then adjust yeah. frame by frame but basically the ai for every person is just look for the next best cell if it's blocked wait or try yeah, the next best go, cell after that yeah yeah uh, that's uh yeah so that's that's it's the th things like that in rts's that are imposing it's like that's a very small part like of, of a huge set of complexity in systems for yeah. those kind of games uh-huh yeah but, it gives me a massive amount of respect for people who work on ai for rts games though yeah i like just looking into just dipping my toe into it there were so many things it is no it is by no means a solved problem no and there were people complaining that Unity doesn't do it very well. People complaining that Unreal Engine doesn't do it very well. Like, it's just, it's, it's a, it's, yeah. It's a, it's a, definitely something to explore. But yeah, I think I'm writing a lot of stuff down after I finish, if I ever finish. Hopefully I'll finish <laughs> someday working on, working on this card game. If I'm still into RTSs, I'll try and make like an RTS game. I had this idea where it would be cool if... You could have it, you'd have three D models running around and stuff, but they wouldn't animate; they'd just drive because they'd basically be tanks. But what would be cool is if you could be, you could press a button and be in the perspective of one of the tanks, yep. and then also command from that tank. Yep. Like uh, I'm sure, and, and you'd have. I'm sure there's a game that does that. I just can't think what it is. I know um, my my other friend told me that there's a game that does this as well, but I can't remember what what he said it was called. The um. I think the Mountain Blade games have got similar kind of aspects that All right, okay. you can you can play first person as the commander of ranks who follow your decisions, but I don't know if you can toggle mm -hmm. in and out like that. Yeah. Um, I think I've watched Mountain Blade being played. I think I, what I saw was like you're just a commander like a, you're a guy and you're and you you order people around. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you set not, waypoints yeah, and stuff. Yeah, it's definitely not like full on mm -hmm. RTS. Yeah, but the lore of this would be you are a robot overlord, and you can download. You can just like look through any of your, any of your robot underlings' view and just command them, <laughs> and uh, have some kind of UI set up so that you, when you're in the tank, you still have some kind of effective tactical overlay of what the battlefield looks like. But also, you're in a tank that gets destroyed in like a second because, like, <laughs> you know, like it's it's insane and they're like everyone's shooting anything and yeah, I, I just think that'd be really cool. It sounds. Um, I definitely want to work on something 3D next. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, 3D just has uh, never caught me. Uh, I I think possibly partially because like actually modeling and texturing for 3D seems like such a huge mm. amount of additional work. <laughs> But I, yeah. I, I like I don't love the idea of um using like pre bought or free three D assets for that kind of thing. Uh, neither, neither do I. You end up like you end up looking exactly like everyone else. Yeah, that's something I found with like you ever tried looking at the Unity asset store? Very like not directly, but I'm aware of the Unity asset store. Uh, 
it all just looks the same. Like, I don't know, maybe someone can tell me I'm getting this wrong, but from what I've, like, I've explored the Unity Asset Store because I've been looking for things myself, and it all just looks the same, like, like, match three vector, vector graphic things that you'd expect from a mobile game. Yeah. Like, and I just, oh... Yeah, and I get that from like a lot of if I don't, if, especially if you don't want to pay for anything, if you want to yeah. get it for free, then it's even worse. Then you need to get something like, yeah. But speaking about like making your own uh, models, I I did a Blender course, Blender three D, which is like a three D modeling tool on Udemy um, a couple of months ago, and that was really fun. And um, I highly recommend that to anyone who hasn't yet signed up to Udemy because the price is insane if you already have a Udemy account but if <laughs> I got it for like 11 pounds because I didn't have a Udemy account and um uh what was I saying and I think making if you if you're familiar with planetary annihilation like all of the the reason why you can fit thousands of units onto a onto a onto your screen and have them all animate and it be relatively quick is because they're so low poly that it doesn't matter um and you can render them all at once and I think doing make, making like 3D models like that for that you, you're gonna just reuse thousands of times wouldn't be too bad. Yeah. And I feel like I've got enough of a grasp of Blender to do it, but we'll see. Anyway, this is all way in the future because I have no intentions of putting down my <laughs> current project and shouldn't until it's done. So. Yeah, I found I've been running a lot recently, and I find that runs generally <laughs> seem to generate some really good ideas for games. Um, and I've started to backlog now on game ideas that I'm not even going to try and touch because I know that if if any of them is in- interesting, I'll lose concentration on this um, roguelike project. So <laughs> I've got some stored up for future game jams now. But um, nice. Have you ever played? Have you ever played Werewolf or something that's called Mafia? Yeah, we played that. We played that at uni. We played Werewolf together. Oh, when we used to play Wizard was... stuff, we used to do. Like, yeah, Werewolf yeah. And then we used to play staff. Werewolves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Wizard stuff for the uninitiated, because you, you, if you haven't heard of it, you probably think that is a Dungeons and Dragons esque um, uh, role playing experience. It's not. No, you you drink cans of beer, and once you finished your can of beer, you duct tape it onto the last can of beer you finished until you have a, a staff of cans of beer, and then the first two people past yeah. ten have a wizard duel where they yeah. <laughs> try to break each other's staffs. Um, but yeah. generally, the person who can either drink the most beer or drink the most iron brew wins. <laughs> yeah, there was always one guy who always turned up with iron brew, and it didn't quite seem <laughs> fair. Fair. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Oh well, you did always seem to win. <laughs> um, Wizard staff side, werewolves. I, I had this yeah. an idea for a game loosely based on werewolf, except you're playing as a a ring of co-conspirator pirates being accused <laughs> of a crime, and the idea is to shift the blame onto the other pirates. Um, and you have a respect <laughs> system, and every single time someone's blamed, they're hanged. Uh, and the idea is to be the last pirate alive, basically backstabbing, taking the like items and the stats of the pirates that you're successfully shifting the blame onto. Uh, I think it could be done <laughs> in a really cool. simple way. It doesn't have to be a particularly complex game, um, but I, I think it would be good fun for a game jam or weekend project style. So is that shelving. You think of like a, a courtroom setting. I'm I'm not really sure actually. Um 
I thought I think my original idea was like completely top down executioner in the middle of a circle and pointing at someone and then the whole thing is pirates pointing at each other and then you'd have like I don't know things that would allow you to forge evidence to get someone else blamed or if you tried to blame the most respected pirate in the circle then all of the pirates that respected him would be predisposed to blame you next time um Mm -hmm. and just trying to play a little bit with social dynamics but Maybe you'll hear about that one again in the future. Uh, maybe yeah. no one will ever hear about that ever again. <laughs> but it's <laughs> it's nice to be coming up with ideas faster than building games. Yeah, yeah. I always find the shower gives me inspiration for stuff. Uh, sh- um, shower seems to go one of two ways for me. Either I can have a really good thinking session in the shower or something really mundane will happen. Like I'll start thinking about a melody in a song. And then I'll start singing it and thinking about which notes are in it and intervals between them. And then the shower's over and I'm like, oh, I was going to think about that engine problem. And and I just thought about music for (laughs) 10 minutes. Wasted that shower. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. If I'm thinking about, yeah, the shower helps if I'm having a programming problem and I can't seem to solve it. And I go into the shower and I'm like, oh, because I'm thinking about washing my arms or something <laughs> and not thinking about the problem and then my brain solves the problem for me and I'm like oh yeah okay that was so simple it's the good old hammock driven development hammock driven development just, just yeah short hammock um, or sponge driven development <laughs> now that I can get behind with um, although I don't use a sponge in the shower neither do I but a shampoo driven development doesn't quite <laughs> yeah ring yeah. quite as well nothing yeah nothing has the same ring to it that sponge, sponge does yeah <laughs> maybe that so yeah um yeah what have you been playing so i had never heard of a planetary annihilation until you <clears throat> told me about that the other day yeah playing anything else recently it's been um oh so i'm playing a lot of planetary annihilation though. <laughs> and i'm also playing I was playing Darkest Dungeon, but then... Oh, God, we've mentioned it every episode. But then I shift. Uh, I always shift a planetary annihilation because you can set up, like, a skirmish and that between you and, like, another player... Or not another AI player, sorry. There are very loud children outside shouting. I haven't heard them so far, so... Maybe okay, good. good, cool. Um, <laughs> you can... Yeah, you can set up, like, a one-time skirmish between you and, like, an AI player and give them as much difficulty as you can... And then I, I thought I was going really well because I did the campaign like Galactic War where you take over the galaxy, and I put it on hard and I completed it on hard. And I was like, oh, that was really easy. I'm gonna put it on in intense. No, not intense. What's it called? Um, uh, relentless. That's it. There's there's easy, normal, hard, relentless, and insane. And I was like, hard was pretty easy. Like let's put it on relentless. And I tried it on relentless and just got my ass handed to me. <laughs> it's- <laughs> By the AI, I was like, "Oh God, this is this really hard." Couldn't get anything done. I was like, "Oh, okay, this is tough." I haven't yet tried. Um, I haven't yet tried going against other players. Yeah. Even though there's an active player base, because I'm even more afraid of getting just being absolutely smashed. I remember playing. This is the second Planetary Annihilation game I played. They kind of released it. If you re- if you already own the first game, they released it as DLC. But otherwise, you can pay for it separately for like thirty pounds. Cool. But in the in the first game, there was a problem where, for multiplayer, 
everyone would race to get orbital bombardment satellites, and the person with the most orbital bombardment satellites would just win. Yep. And that was it. Um, just that was it. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't do anything else because yeah. because you could kind of counter orbital bombardment satellites, but only if you would invested heavily. And as soon as someone gets that far ahead and takes over and has orbital supremacy, I guess you would call it, the game's over. They've won. And I think they fixed that in this expansion by making the focus more about ground units, yep. buffing the buff, uh, buffing like defense systems, like orbital defense systems and stuff. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go head more into the a like the play, the PvP at some point when I feel confident and that, yeah, ready 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 to be smashed. But. <laughs> <laughs> I think that opens up an interesting just discussion that I don't think we've had on this podcast so far, but about difficulty in games. <clears throat> okay. Um cuz I what one thing I've noticed whilst I've played games is I tend to prefer games without a difficulty slider. Um and yeah. I tend to prefer the games that put themselves at the harder end of that like non-slidable scale. Um, yeah. And I found it really interesting a couple of years ago when Sekiro came out and it was just ridiculously hard. Uh, and just so many people in the gaming review industry totally slated the game. It's like you're <laughs> locking people who would enjoy the game out of the game by not putting the difficulty settings in. Um, but didn't they say the same thing about Dark Souls? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think at least Dark Souls, you like Dark Souls kind of has a hidden difficulty setting in that you can yeah. summon your friends in and they can help you. Um, mm. so it's like it's not on the nose but if you're really struggling against a boss you can just wait for someone to put a summon sign down bring them in and then have two players and all of a sudden it trivializes it compared to the single player <laughs> experience and Sekiro is completely offline so if you're struggling on something you, you don't have a choice like <laughs> you are going to um, yeah you're going to have to figure just it by yourself away. or you're going to stop playing and yeah. Games like The Witness, I think, is the similar kind of thing. You can't put yourself on an easier setting because the game is designed very specifically to be the difficulty that it's designed to be. Yeah. Um, Puzzle games are an interesting case, actually. Like, how could you get... How could you... You couldn't have a difficulty slider in a puzzle game, really, could you? Yeah, no, I don't think... Because so. the, the, puzzle, the puzzle is either there or it's not. Yeah. And you just, by, by saying, I want this as a certain difficulty, you're just, I guess what you would do is just lock out a bunch of the puzzles and just I, say, oh yeah, you can, completed it, well done. Well, I yeah. suppose <laughs> it depends what your puzzle mechanic is, because if your puzzle mechanic relies on any kind of timing, then you can speed the game up. So, like, mm. um, I, I can't think of any example, because I, I can't think <laughs> of any timing base, but I could imagine something where there's like a dexterity element to solving the puzzle. Um mm. Uh, and then you could just tweak that parameter for difficulty. Um, but generally, yeah, I don't think puzzle games lend themselves well to um, set difficulty. And the other, like, the other games that I am thinking of as games I really enjoy that don't have a difficulty setting. One is Spelunky, where hmm. the game is just really hard, but that <laughs> it, it steps up in hardness. So like, if you're really good, you'll beat the game at some point you'll get the whole way through. And if you're not really good, then you'll enjoy playing the first three levels again and again and again because they are randomly <laughs> generated. It doesn't get too boring. Um, 
and slay the spire is kind of the same like once you've slayed the mm. spire or once you've beaten the act three boss you unlock a new ascension level and if you want to keep going and you want the game to get harder you are opting in to that difficulty increase every time you go up an ascension level mm. uh, or at the All other right, end it's so like prestige yeah exactly same thing um uh but and at the other end of the scale like games that are um easy but they're just designed to be easy and they don't want you to make them harder because that's the way they were designed to be um yeah uh I, i'm trying to think of games that so maybe the witcher is one where that's a game i love the witcher 3 at least um that has a difficulty settings mm. um i think there are certain games that i don't think would be the same without the difficulty settings like halo yeah that was there's such classic like to mind. easy easy normal hard heroic legendary and it's just like yeah i don't think that game would be the same without the legendary difficulty like i think when you when the developers released the game they were like it's pretty clear when you play it that heroic is the experience yeah like it's, if, if you play it on heroic that's pretty much like the 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 challenge like the the way you're meant to experience Halo, and then n- normal I found to just be a bit too easy, and then legendary is always like hard. This is it's like you know you just you a couple of shots and you're dead. But then it's 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 been in all because those games are so famous and it's been in all of them that difficulty setting. It's just it's just just iconic um, as part of the game. I wonder how different Halo would have been as a franchise if they released with heroic difficulty as their only option um and or made that the default yeah uh yeah uh, like how much more rewarding the game because i I remember playing halo back in the day and i remember i I doubt i played it on heroic i suspect i played it on normal and i like it was back at a time where i'm pretty sure i didn't really do any strategic play and pretty like beyond oh my health is low let me hide behind the rock um (laughs) and i i remember like never thinking about reloading and that game was still a breeze. Um, yeah. And probably at whatever age I was when I first played Halo, I probably would have found it frustrating and stopped if it was harder. Um, How old were you? Do you think, because I was, the first time I played Halo, I must have been about 10 or 11, which, was, <laughs> which wasn't really the time when you should start playing Halo because the game has a 16 uh, age rating on it. However, however, um, uh, the difficulty rating... I remember playing it on normal and at the age of 10 finding it hard. But then as you grow up and you play the game more, like I don't, whenever I pick up Halo, I always play it on at least heroic because because it's just too easy for me. Um, or or like in, in, if I want a challenge, if I've completed a level and I want a challenge, I'll put it on legendary. But if I'm just playing it to like experience the game again, I'll put it on heroic. Yeah. But I, I guess that's just because I was young. <laughs> And I, I, you know, I found games difficult because, you know, they were not meant for 10-year-olds. So. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I think I certainly played Halo at a friend's house, like, really early on when it first came out on Xbox, but never, like, played through the campaign or anything. And then I think I was probably, like, 15 or something when I actually got mm. a PC version of Halo that I could play the campaign on. So 
Um, oh yeah, you can play Halo CE on yeah. on PC, and you could actually get it for free. Yeah, <laughs> if you just didn't have the campaign, but you had the multiplayer, and then you would be able to mod it as well. And I remember downloading a mod for Halo CE on PC that allows you to fly a pelican, and that was like the coolest thing ever. <laughs> Because I don't know, I just thought, wouldn't it be cool? Like ever since the first Halo, like I thought, I, I've always found games where you could go inside buildings or inside things and control things that just end the game quite interesting. Yeah. And one of the things I wanted to do with Halo was fly a pelican, and yeah, there's a mod for that which made me very happy. <laughs> so and then it instantly got a bit boring because the game isn't made for that. But <laughs> but yeah, it was cool. Um. Yeah, I've been meaning to check out as well. I've just been seeing endless good things about Monster Train. Um, Monster Train? That most like most of the people that I know who play the same kind of games as me are playing Monster Train, and most of the YouTubers I watch who play similar kind of games to me are playing Monster Train. Um, and it looks like... <clears throat> it, I mean, it, it was definitely inspired by Slay the Spire. Um but instead of climbing a tower and slaying a spire, monsters are... I, I, I've watched videos, but I'm not really sure of the game fully yet. Um, monsters are trying to get through your train, uh, and you've got right. multiple levels in your train, and you play things that guard against the monsters that are coming through your train. Uh, and it's card-based. Uh, and similar to Slay the Spire, Sick. like... When you lose, that's the run done. Back to the beginning. Um, it's like a Snowpiercer, but from the other perspective. I, it may well be, but I have no idea what Snowpiercer is. So, Snowpiercer, Snowpiercer, they're remaking it on Netflix. It's a show, it is a film where the world has ended and there's this train going round and round the globe. And at the back of the train are, are really poor people. And at the front of the train are really rich people. And the poor people rise up against the rich people on the train and take the train. And this, I guess, monster train is like is like the perspective of the rich people on Snowpiercer. <laughs> against the... <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, there's a... Oh, what's the book called? It's the Lord of the Rings fan fiction, I guess. But I, I feel bad calling it a fan fiction because it's quite fleshed out and a proper novel. Um, the Last Ringbearer or something? And it's about... You'll know this better than me. And this is about the is the Lord of the Rings story told through the eyes of someone living in Mordor. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I guess you could explain this, but I'll explain this for the sake of the podcast, but please correct me if I'm wrong. But it's like it's it's it it's because it's from the perspective of someone in Mordor, it's it it's uh it's based on the idea that the monsters in Lord of the Rings are monsters because the people who told that story are the people that won the war. And actually, they weren't orcs or monsters. They were just people that lived there that had a different way of life and, and had a more industrial mindset that the wizards and the, the high kings of Gondor and, and the West didn't like, so they invaded. And uh, I don't know where I'm going with that, but the whole uh, <laughs> showing things from a different perspective. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I loved that when I first came across it. It's like Mordor is like very scientifically minded and they're pushing the boundaries of what science can do much faster than the more conservative Western free peoples are happy with. So they're suppressing it and casting them as the ugly baddies that just um, <laughs> burn trees Once and uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, eat each other. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, 
That'd be a cool um, twist to Monster Train. <laughs> oh, talking about twists to games, there's a game called... Oh, what's it called? I'm just looking up something that would spoil my description. Uh, <laughs> uh, board game. There's a board game. Um, oh, it's called Brenda Romero's Train Train Board Game. And it is about... What you're doing is setting up trains and optimizing train routes, but as you play the board game, it becomes more and more clear that what you're optimizing for is is um, bring is is running is taking people on mass to death camps in the Holocaust, <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> but you don't know that's what you're doing. I think that's the basis of the board game. I and that. Sounds interesting. I don't know. I, what would be interesting, make, making a game where you don't realise what you're doing and then at the end it all becomes very clear what you're doing and you're like, oh my god, what, you know. <laughs> it sounds like an extreme um, version. I love that, the idea of games that try to impart a message or whatever, but the yeah, um, the idea behind Monopoly is designed as a, a way to teach people that capitalism is bad. Uh, and it's like it makes total sense when you think about it when you think about like the family deterioration during the game of monopoly um yeah but people have taken such the opposite yeah like the lovable monopoly guy yeah exactly <laughs> it, it, it just the message was just so hidden under what's quite a good and interesting game that like <laughs> unless you've heard the that little um snippet that yeah monopoly was designed by someone who wanted people to appreciate how bad capitalism was but yeah. they just have no idea uh, <laughs> and now it's and now it's like a model of like how to make money yeah. like i was like oh yeah i know you always win monopoly and like there's it's made a board game that's made millions and millions of dollars yeah, and there's yeah, a, yeah. The, the the happy old monopoly dude with the money in his hand we should <laughs> uh we should maybe do a, a board games episode at some point and just yeah. talk like yeah stuff that goes on a table instead of stuff that Definitely. goes on a screen uh, i just have to say about ticket to ride yeah i was thinking yeah. ticket to ride when you're talking about a train game and then you all of a sudden said death camps and i, I <laughs> my brain jumped out of that Happy, yeah, trans-European, <laughs> yeah, mildly cooperative <laughs> space. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Yeah, that, I heard about that board game. I haven't played it. I'm not sure if you can buy it anymore. I think it was like a temporary release. But I'll see if I can. I'm gonna see if I can get my hands on a copy. But yeah. Anyway. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I'd bring that up. Um. Uh, yeah, getting back to Monster Train, I guess. Do you have anything else to say about that game? No, I don't think so. I'll probably play it at some point and report back. Um, nice. Uh, but other than that... Um, so, what are your plans for next week? Um, well, my main goal is to just get a, a alpha version of Midas out. Um, mm -hmm. And then I'm probably going to chill for a bit whilst I figure out what yeah what needs to happen to turn it into a game that I can say is done. Uh, yeah. Um, and hopefully it, it doesn't, even at that stage, it doesn't get done. I think one of the things with game development I always love is the idea of long-term projects that I continue to work on, which is why yeah. the idea of building a roguelike is so <laughs> satisfying because the gameplay will never get stale. 
uh, when you have random world mm. every single time. So, yeah. Uh, eyes down, nice. focusing on that. How about you? <laughs> um, yeah, I have a idea for my game that I want to try out. Basically, I want there's there's one resource at the moment which is cards, and you have to defend well and candles, two resources I guess, and you have to defend your candles using the cards and make sure your candles don't get don't go out because if your one of your candles goes out, that's the end of the game. What I'm thinking is as well as cards, you have a resource that you spend every turn that um that because at the moment what you're trying to do is summon a demon but there's no time limit on it and you can pretty much wait to do it at any point with that's convenient to you with the amount of cards you have yep um but in order to add some tension to it I, from just playing it over and over again myself is i need there needs to be some tension so in order to add some tension there's, there's going to be a resource called dust which which goes down every time you make a new turn Every time you click a new turn, it would depending on how many cards you played on the previous round yep. and what's happened. So it isn't like every turn you lose one dust. It's like every turn you use you lose dust based on the based on how well you defended your candles because it's like yeah. Um, and but <laughs> I got some cool ideas for I'm gonna yeah. So my my time is basically spent like playing my game and figuring out what needs to happen to make it more fun and like working towards this dust mechanic right now and also. I have an idea of like how I'm going to change the animation system to make it so that I can queue up different animations to happen for transitions. So like at the end of a turn, there needs to be a thing where you deal out four, four different cards and then dust comes up and evaporates the old cards and then the candles go down. But right now there's no way of queuing up animations like that. So I'm going to have, I've got an idea for like a transition system that I'll implement at some point, but that it needs to be fun before I even think about doing that. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. ran into that same kind of that we talked about last week about turn game, turn-based games with animations. That yeah, right now my like everything is very global in my prototype, um, and that's great for most stuff. But say for instance, like right now, when you move from one tile to another, there's a jump between that happens, and only when mm -hmm. your character lands on the new tile does it turn gold, and you get the particle effects come out. Yeah. Um, and a sound plays, which is <laughs> fine until I've, I've moved down a level. And then when I move back up a level, I want to see how many turns have elapsed in the level below so I can simulate that many turns on the level above so that AI aren't exactly where you left them. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. And right now, all of that code is tied into animations and sounds. So as you try and simulate yeah. 83 frames... Uh, 83 turns upstairs <laughs> oh. uh you get sounds and animations and it like there's nothing right now to wait for that to complete so i uh had to do some fairly major re-architecting to decouple um the animations and sounds but i still also need them to kind of be aware of how long something takes so that yeah something can turn gold only after the animation's yeah. finished because if it happens immediately it looks clunky as hell yeah um, i guess the only advice i can give you is like not that you even need it <laughs> it's like don't make things too abstract yeah yeah no i'll yeah. be avoiding that as much as possible i think i'm just yep. gonna have a way to disable a system like animation and then any time yeah. you add a new animation into that system if it's disabled it just calls the callback immediately say it looks done mm -hmm. so that you everything stays synchronous uh whilst the mm -hmm. system's disabled I'm sure there are 
smarter ways to do it with message queues and events and whatnot. But whenever I make those architectural decisions that feel better, I always end up hurting myself because I can't easily ask something like, tell me when this is done or um, uh, like, yeah. let me send this event. And then I want to know what happened as a direct result of it. Because once you've sent yeah. it, it disappears off into the nether Ether. of your game. But yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, nice to see you again next week for a progress review. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought you were going to say for the next podcast. Or for both. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Nice. Well, see you soon. Catch you later. Bye. Bye.